You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Birth of Jesus, and we think about how uh, this the birth of this child is significant for, for you and for me. Uh, and we read together, didn't we, as an introductory reading, uh, Luke chapter 2. We looked at, uh, read the accounts of the birth of Jesus uh, from the gospel according to Luke. And what we read in this account is that following the birth of Jesus, um, the angels appear to the shepherds in the fields around Bethlehem. And in thinking about the significance of the birth of Jesus, I'd like us to focus on the words of these angels. So if you've got Luke chapter 2 still open, um, come to verse 13 and 14. And let's see what they, what they say, what they, what they sing and what they praise. So Luke chapter two, verse 13. And suddenly there was with with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So the reason I want to focus on this is that the the angels here in, in their praise connect the birth of Jesus with peace on earth. And this is going to be our theme this morning we're going to pick up. We're going to think of and explore a little bit how, uh, how Jesus uh, and how the birth of Jesus uh, brings about peace on earth. So that's what we're going to be focused on is the idea of peace. Because yeah, I think it's probably uh, helpful and apt because sadly we live in a world where there is always war, isn't there? Um, I tried to do a little bit of research to see if we could find the last date where there wasn't war or some, some conflict in the world. And I wasn't able to find a date because all, all our records we have, there's always a war occurring somewhere, which is really, really sad, isn't it? Um, and of course, this year with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, it's brought to war, probably more so than before, to the forefront of our minds, just because it's, it's physically become closer, hasn't it? Um, and, and the world just seems to be in quite a chaotic state. There's so much uncertainty, so much fear that I think speak, thinking about peace and how Jesus brings peace um, would hopefully be helpful to us all and really important. And ultimately, peace on earth is something we all are going to want, isn't it? And there's something here we've been told that's special about this child, about the the person of Jesus, that will lead to peace on earth. We're not going to turn there, but I'll put on the screen at the bottom a couple of Old Testament references that just connect and talk when they talk about the the promised Messiah, the promised anointed one. They talk about how he uh, will bring peace. So this isn't just a New Testament concept. It was right. It was right. It's in the Old Testament there. uh, Looking forward to to this this person. Um, It was always about connected with peace. First, we'll stop and think about what is peace. Uh, and then we'll think about how how Jesus brings peace, how he brings peace with God, how he brings peace with others in our in our relationships and our friendships, uh, how uh, it should bring peace within ourselves. And then ultimately we'll come to the end to think about the ultimate hope of peace on earth in its, its most ultimate sense. So that's how we're going to, to work through things this morning. We're going to start, though, by just getting us to think a little bit about what, what is peace. Um, and I'm going to ask you maybe to give me some suggestions. Tell me, what, what, what does it mean for you for there to be peace? Absence of war, definitely. Excellent. Anything else? Quietness. Yeah. No anxiety. No anxiety, security. Definitely. A few other bits here. Um, just questions to get us thinking. I think when we think of the peace, the first thing that comes to my mind and most of minds is the absence of something. It's the absence of war, the absence of conflict. But then actually, as we start probing a little further, it's actually it's more than just the absence of conflict. No, that's what you're saying. It's about security. Um, uh, quietness, I think it was going to and at least it's about the presence of something else, isn't it? It's not just about there being no conflict, it's about something else. 
Um, we, we can think a little bit about external peace. We think particularly around maybe, we, think, we typically think uh, first about international conflict, we think about peace, but also we think about, so we can think about personal relationships, societal relationships, relationships in our community, that we can have peace in those two, that we can have all those things in those, those, those things. And then also we can also think about internal peace. So I think uh, we start talking about security uh, and how we can have peace in our mind, in our thoughts. We can be at peace um, in how we feel as well. Um, so the, the purpose we have just to just get us to think a little bit about that is, we can, we can sometimes, we're not careful, think that peace is just, just there being no war. But we're seeing the English word for peace is about much more than that. It's about much more than just the absence of peace. It's about, it's about um, uh, there being the presence of lots of, of good qualities and good things. And this is true when we come to look at the biblical meaning of peace too. Um, so that's why I wanted to, to lead us through this this way. Um, and so we're going to just explore the, the, the biblical meaning uh, of peace by looking at the, the words that are used in the Bible that refer to peace. So we've got, we've got two words. One is in the Old Testament which is in Hebrew, uh, and the other one is in the New Testament, which is a Greek word. Uh, and we'll look at those, and this will help us just to kind of have a more rounded view of what it means for there to be peace. So starting in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Uh, and when you look at what it means, what it means is uh, completeness, being whole, soundness, and being healthy. And it comes from, from a root word shalom, which, which also means to make amends, or to make whole, or to make complete. Uh, and an example I really like, and I'm going to use just to help us kind of try to kind of, I think, captures lots of the aspects of peace, is from Nehemiah chapter 6. So the context of, the, of this chapter is uh, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed, hadn't they, through, uh, through a war uh, when, when Israel was taken into to captivity. And then later on, many, many years later, some of the Israelites return to the city of Jerusalem uh, in the days of Nehemiah. And they start to rebuild this wall that had been destroyed through war. Um, and we read here in Nehemiah 6 verse 15 that the wall was finished. And this word finished is our word shalam. The wall was at peace, you could say. Um, and and the, the reason the wall was at peace wasn't because the war had stopped. wasn't because it had stopped being attacked and it no longer been bombarded. The reason it was at peace, it was finished, was because it was complete. Every stone was where it should be. There was no gaps. There was no missing parts. It was whole again. And I think for me, that really helps us to think about what it means to, for there to be peace. Yes, it is. It is the absence of conflict. It is the absence of war and destruction and hurt. Um, but it's the presence of much more as well. So the wall on the left is a wall that's not at peace. It's a wall that's got holes in, it's got gaps, it's, been, it's got hurt, there's hurt, there's harm going on. But the one on the right then is complete. It's whole. Everything's as it should be. Um, uh, and I think that then helps us to think about what it means for there to be peace. We can think about it in terms of relationships. When relationships are damaged, whether that's personal or international, there's hurt, there's harm, there's gaps, there's damage, just like that wall on the left. Um, but when those things are restored, you've got then this wall, uh, like the wall being restored there. It's about the idea of bringing back to wholeness. Or, or even in our, in our minds, you know, lots of us maybe aren't, might find have times we're not at peace in our minds or we might be feeling anxious or angry or resentful. And we, our mind is like that wall on the left where there's, 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 there's hurt, there's things that have been damaged, things are out of place, it's not as it should be. And, and bringing our minds to a point of peace is where those things are restored, they're fixed, they're put back in order, and everything is as it should be. It's whole, it's complete. So this complete wall is, is our picture of peace. No damage, no hurt, everything as it should be. Um, as well as, as where Shalam being used of repairing a wall, it's also used, I mentioned here, um, in Exodus 22 and many other places, of restitution for a wrongdoing. So another aspect of peace is about restitution. So Exodus 22, verse 1 and 4, uh, speaks of what should happen if, if a man steals an ox or a sheep. So there's a theft. He's gone and he's taken something of somebody else. 
And what they told her that that person needs to restore, he needs to um, shalam um, what he's taken. And if that, if that animal's still alive, he needs to restore a double fold. If the animal's dead, he needs to restore five times. So, so in this situation, you know, where there's been a wrongdoing like a theft, that relationship is like that, that damaged wall, isn't it? Uh, and shalam here is the idea of fixing the gaps and the damage that's occurred, making restitution, making things right again, restoring that relationship back to where it needs to, where it should be before the damage occurred. So that, that's what peace is, it's about restoring, getting things back to uh, the wholeness and completeness they should be. Um, so to kind of summarize here, a little summary really, to have shalom, to have peace means to be in a state of wholeness or completeness without any deficiency or damage. Uh, if something is broken or is damaged, so it could be a wall, could be the thoughts in our minds it could be a relationship because someone stole something from us it could be between nations then shalam is about uh, taking that broken thing fixing what's broken and damaged and restoring it to wholeness so that, that that's kind of i think a little summary of the old testament idea of, of peace and if we come now into the new testament and we think about the greek word you see there's a lot of similarity um the greek word for peace is this this word irene it's the word that occurred in our, in our reading of Luke when, when the, uh, the angels talked about peace, uh, on earth peace, on earth irony. Uh, and this word means um, uh, to be one. You know, quietness, rest, harmony, concord or agreement. Uh, and it originates from, uh, from another Greek word, iro, which means to join together or to tie together into whole. So it's very much about uniting. Unity is what it's about, uh, this word. So bringing together multiple parts together to form a whole, to set things at one again. Um, I'll read you an example from, from Acts 7, 26, um, so just, which uses this word. So, so in Acts chapter 7, we have um, Michael Stephen given a speech, and he refers back to uh, the history uh, of Israel in the Old Testament. And in Acts 7, 26, he's speaking about Moses um, uh, when he um, finds two Israelites fighting. This is in the book of Exodus. So Acts 7.26 says, and the next day he, this is Moses, showed himself unto them that strove. So he, he, he comes out and he sees two men that are striving, that are fighting, and would have set them at one again. And that's our word, Irene, to set at one. Saying, sirs, ye are brethren, why do you wrong one another? So through his words, he's trying to make them realise that you're brethren, why are you wrong each other? He's trying to stop the conflict, stop the fight, and to bring them back together, to be one again. To have peace, to have irony, this is what it's talking about. To bring people back together where there's conflict, to stop it, but also to unite again. So that, that, we hopefully then just explore a little bit what it means to have peace um, according to the Bible. Uh, what we've read a little summary again, that biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It points to the presence of something else. It's, it's, it's about taking action to restore a broken situation, uh, it's more than just inner tranquility. It's a state of unity and wholeness and completeness. And there's our, our united, completed wall there, which is our kind of image we can use to kind of remember it. And, and what we're saying, the angels said that Jesus came to bring this kind of peace. That, that's why we're exploring this. So I understand what are the angels saying? Why are they singing about peace? Uh, this is what they refer to when they're singing about um, the birth of Jesus. So now let's go on and explore how Jesus establishes this kind of peace. Um, in different areas of our life. So first of all, we're going to think about how Jesus brings to, provides for us peace with God. Uh, and I'm going to take a read there from Colossians chapter 1. Um, so if you're in Acts, if you go to Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then we've got is it Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Colossians 1, uh, we're going to read sort of verse 20 uh, to 22. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 20. 
It's to talk about Jesus. It says, and having made peace. This is actually, it's not the word Irene, but it's the word that's based on it. It means to make Irene, to make peace, this word does. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, will they be things in earth or things in heaven? And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So this passage is saying that the death of Jesus on the cross has brought about reconciliation. It occurs at least twice that word reconcile in, in this passage. And that word reconcile means to take two things that are separate and bring them back uh, together and make them one. Um, and we read here that we have been alienated in verse 21 from God because um, of our mind and the wicked works that we've done. So because of the wrong things we've done, it damaged our relationship with God. It's like that wall. That wall, I think that wall is our, is our relationship with God. The things that we do wrong has damaged that relationship. Uh, there's, there's, those bricks have been removed. There's damage to it. But through the sacrifice of Jesus, th those wrongdoings can be forgiven. And we can present it, it says in verse 22, as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. The word unblameable there means, means to be presented as without blemish. That, that, that wall is our, is our relationship with God can be restored, it can be made whole. And we can have peace in our relationship with God through uh, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, won't turn there, but Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, we have irony, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. If we go on then, I think, well, okay, well, how, does that, how should that affect our relationship with people around us and the peace we can have with others? Um, during Colossians, come back a couple of books. So you've got to go back past Philippians to Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 11. We'll go from there start to think about this. So Ephesians 2, verse 11 starts off, says, um, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, uh, having no hope and without God in the world. So this passage is referring to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews. And it's saying um, that, that uh, before Jesus, um, without Jesus, uh, we are separate from Israel. We're separate from uh, the, the, the circumcised, the, the Israelites, um, and separate from the promises that God made to them when we are without God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off, that's the Gentiles, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So the sacrifice of Jesus brings, uh, enables the, the Gentiles to be brought near into a close relationship with God. Verse 14, for he, Jesus, is our peace, he's our reigning, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So he's, he's taken Jew and Gentile and he's brought them together and united them uh, and made them one. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, but to make himself of twain one new man, so making Peace. So making irony, taking two things and ring together and making one, uniting them. Uh, verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off and to them that shall nigh. So, so there's the same message of peace to both Jew and to Gentile, those who are far away and those who are near, and to reconcile all us all to, to God uh, and bring us together. So the point is bringing us to this, this passage is saying that the peace that Jesus brings 
is also about bringing together different people and overcoming differences so people can be united in him. So whether they be Jew or Gentile. I think a practical implication then for us is that in our personal lives, uh, that we too should lead to, look to establish peace and, and, and unity uh, in our personal relationships to sort of overcome conflict and divisions and try to break those down so that, that, um, so that we can have greater peace with people in, in our lives around us. Uh, we see all that, didn't we, in Acts 7 verse 26, when, when Moses was trying to reconcile two people who've been fighting and bring them together instead of fighting. And then I'll also read to you um, Romans 12 verse 18, which says, if it is possible, um, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So we, we, can't, we can't guarantee we'll have peace in, in all our relationships, but as much as it depends on us, we need to be seeking to, to live peaceably with the people around us, to try to establish peace in our relationship with others. And now peace within ourselves. So what, how does uh, Jesus um, affect um, our, our sort of internal peace, if you will? So I'd like to turn a few passages up for this one. Uh, a couple from, from the Gospel of John. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, John 14, verse 27. Got some, some words of Jesus here. Um, talking about the peace that, that, that he's, he's giving us or leaving us with. Uh, John 14, 27 says, the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, you, giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus here is saying he's giving us, he's leaving us, Irene, he's leaving us peace. And the, the peace he's offering us is different to the peace we can get from the world around us. Because I think the, the peace that the world around us offers us is often just, just temporary. But Jesus here is offering us a different type of peace. And this peace, the end of verse 77, should lead to our hearts not being troubled or being afraid. We can have peace in our heart, um, is what, what Jesus is saying. Let not your heart be troubled. You let it be afraid because of the peace he's leaving with us. If you turn a couple pages to chapter 16 and uh, verse 33, uh, we read there here that Jesus says, um, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace, you might have irony. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling these things to his, to his followers so they can have peace. But he's not saying this peace is going to be the absence of trouble because he's going to, you're going to continue to have tribulation in the world. You're going to have tribulation. This peace isn't about you suddenly having trouble free life. That's not what this peace is. Um, this peace is not the absence of trouble, but it exists in spite of the trouble. It's, it's not dependent on the circumstances. Despite the tribulation, you can have peace and you can be of good cheer. Um, so, it's, so it's a different outlook, a different uh, perspective, I think, that we've been given on our lives through, through, through Jesus. Um, Romans 5 I mentioned again we looked at Romans 5 verse 1 which says we have peace with God um, I'll read you verse 3 and 4 which says uh, we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope so the peace that we have through Jesus gives us a different perspective on the sufferings and challenges that we face in our lives uh, because we know that God can use them to develop us to develop the, it can produce perseverance and character and hope that God will, will use them to shape us. And we're not on our own with them. And also that we have hope. That's the last characteristic it said there. It ultimately will lead to these tribulations, hope. Because we have hope. We, have, we know there is something better to come. We know this life isn't everything. So it gives us a different, we can actually have peace in, in the face of, of challenges and suffering. Now, and finally in this section, let's go to Philippians chapter four. Um, so we were in Ephesians, Colossians earlier on. Philippians is between those two. Um, 
So we're going to to Philippians chapter four. Um, and we're going to go to read verse six and seven of this. So Philippians four, verse six says, be careful for nothing. Yeah, and that, that word careful means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares. And it's saying we shouldn't be anxious or troubled with cares, but in everything, you know, we, we should have a different, different mindset. Uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So part of the way that we, we achieve this, this inner peace is through prayer, because we know that we can bring our troubles to God, that we're not our own with the challenge we're facing. We can take them to God. But interesting, let's make a note that in verse six, is, is it six it says, um, uh, prayer is application with thanksgiving. I think we're just noting that when we pray to God, we're being encouraged to do that with thanksgiving, to also recognize the, the blessings and the good things that we have in our lives. And that can be, I think, a helpful thing um, to have peace in the face of the challenges. Actually, there are still some, some good things in my life. It's not taking, not minimizing or taking away the struggles. No, definitely not. But it's just balancing a little bit, recognizing that it's not, actually, that God has blessed me with some good things. And carry on in verse seven. So we were not to be anxious or troubled or minds. We were to pray with thanksgiving, verse seven, and the peace of God, the irony of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep, that's the word guard, it shall guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So we can have peace in our hearts and our minds when enduring difficulties and challenges because we're not alone. We can pray to God. We're encouraged to recognize our blessings. Uh, we, can, we know that God is using those challenges to develop us. Um, and also we have hope there's better things to come. Uh, and it's that last bit, really, that leads us into our final, really, uh, point for today, this morning, um, is um, to think about the ultimate uh, fulfillment, really, of, of peace uh, how, and how that will be established in, the, in a universal sense through Jesus. We're having peace on earth. Because as we know, the, the Bible um, says that Jesus is going to return from heaven to the earth. We don't go to heaven when we die. Jesus is going to return from heaven to the earth. He's going to raise the dead um, and he is going to, there's going to be a judgment. And he's going to establish um, uh, what, we, what the Bible refers to as the kingdom of God on earth. And, and as part of that, he's going to establish peace on earth. This is when it's going to ultimately be, be fulfilled. Uh, and the birth of Jesus ultimately is leading um, all the way to this. This is where peace is going to be established in its, in its most fullest sense. So to, to explore this, let's go to Isaiah and uh, chapter two in the Old Testament. Um, Well-known passage. Um, Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 2 to 4. So Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 says, It shall come to pass in the last days. So in the end days, in the, we believe this is referring to what's going to happen at the return of Jesus and the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jesus is going to establish the kingdom of God. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. And people are going to go there to, to learn um, uh, of the ways of God. And then verse four. And he, Jesus, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the hope. This is peace on earth. There is no more war. The, 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 the instruments of warfare, the weapons, are, are no use anymore. They are beaten and made into agricultural equipment, plowshares. There's, there's, a, there's a picture of a statue 
of the of this of referring to this verse here of a sword being beaten into a plowshare. Initially, this actually is a statue, I think, in one of the, the UN gardens in the United States. And it was a gift from the USSR to, to the US in 1959. This is what people want for the world. This is our aspiration. We want to have a world where there's no more need for any weapons. Um, but man has been unable to establish that. There's been war after war after war. But this is ultimately what the birth of Jesus is ultimately leading to. Um, and we can see now why uh, the, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And I'm going to mention, sort of, as we bring this sort of to a close, that the time of year we're at now, uh, people's minds are, are starting to, in a, in a society around, are starting to think about Christmas. And Christmas is a time when lots of people remember, particularly the birth of Jesus. Um, and I want to just to think about one example of, of, of that, because I think it, it shows us the power of the message of Jesus um, and how it gives a little taste of uh, the kingdom and peace on earth. Um, and and uh, and it was Christmas Day on 1914. Can anyone tell me anything particular happened on Christmas Day in 1914? Stop fighting. Yeah. Cross the no man's land. And what else? What else happened? Football match. Football match. Okay. Famously, the Christmas truce of 1914. Context is Europe was at war, the First World War. Uh, when it started, people thought it's going to be over by Christmas. But sadly, it wasn't, wasn't it? Christmas came and they were in stalemate. Um, they, 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 the soldiers had dug in, they'd established these trenches um, and, and there was a no man's land in between uh, and these horrendous conditions of mud and just, just and they were these, these, these soldiers, the German army and, and, and the British were kind of uh, fighting each other and shooting each other over this no man's land. And, and on Christmas Day, 1914, on some parts of, of, of the, these, uh, the Western Front, it was called, um, some of the, both sides start to sing carols. They start to, as part of this, they're remembering the birth of Jesus. And then something amazing happens, I think quite tentatively initially, some of the soldiers get out of the trenches and they actually come and meet in the middle in no man's land. Uh, and they exchange some gifts and they even um, play some football. There's a quote here from a German soldier's diary, uh, which says, eventually the English brought a soccer ball from their trenches and pretty soon a lively game ensued, he wrote. Uh, he marvels, sorry, how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. A little taste, I think, of peace on earth. It's not just about the stopping of war, the stopping of fighting, because that had happened. It was also bringing two enemies together, um, starting to share gifts, talking, being united in playing, playing a game of football together. That's a picture, I think, of peace on earth. Um, and of course, it didn't last. It says at the end of the quote there, um, it was for a time. Uh, and soon they were back to shooting each other. But I think that gives us a, you know, a tangible idea of what it means for the peace on earth, not just the cessation of war, but actually bringing people together uh, and actually um, uh, yeah, just, just being whole, being about how things should be. So what we thought about this morning is that how our biblical peace sorry, is more than just the absence of conflict. It, it points to the presence of something else. It, it's about taking action to, bro to, to restore a broken situation. Uh, it's about being in a state of wholeness and completeness. Uh, and we talk about the ability to have peace in our lives now in the face of trouble, uh, and also the hope of being part of God's uh, kingdom on earth when, when there will be peace on the earth. And all that is centered on Jesus. And in order for us to have this hope, uh, we need to, uh, we of course need to, need to associate ourselves and connect ourselves with Jesus because he, he, through him that he enables these things, will enable these things to happen. So to, be, to have part of this hope, to have peace in our lives now and to have the hope of ultimate peace in the kingdom, we, of course, first of all need to believe. We need to have faith. 
Uh, and then we need to be baptized into Christ. We need to die and rise to a new life committed to following Jesus. So to end, I'm just going to, to read again Romans 1 verse, sorry, Romans 5 verse 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if we believe and we are baptized, we can also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we too can sing the same song as the angels. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.